Hey there, my name is Rihanna, and this is a podcast designed to spread the word of God and encourage women during our walk of faith. Hello. So, I feel like I'm just always sick whenever I have to record, or not have to, whenever I choose to record a podcast, and that's obviously spiritual warfare. Satan obviously does not want God's children to be spreading his word and spreading his love. So forgive me for sounding super nasally. I'm going to try and get right into this podcast because there's so much information that I could share. I've actually really, really been wanting to record a podcast on this topic for a good amount of time. It's really, really, really cannot express it enough how much this topic and issue has been on my heart to discuss. Um, But I'm just going to dive right in. Now, first of all, I am not God, obviously. I am not Jesus. I am not a theologian. I never even went to seminary school. All I know is the knowledge and the wisdom that the Lord has given me. And it's to the best of my ability. I am still a fallen human, as we all know. I am a sinner, as we all know, as we all are. And so... There are certain verses, and whenever I lead Bible studies, I'm always the one telling people not to trust me for my word, but to trust the word of God, because that is what we stand on. That is our strong, secure foundation. So yes, as I always end my podcast saying, if you do have any questions, comments, or concerns, please address them to me. I love talking about the word of God, but... What I share is based on scripture, and it's my interpretation of what the scripture means. So, again, to dive right in, I wanted to open up with Proverbs 9.10, which is going to tell us what the biblical definition of wisdom is and where we get our knowledge. Because this whole podcast is kind of, as it's titled, it's about overcomplicating the Bible which I believe is a huge, huge issue that people do because the gospel is simple, right? It is a simple gospel. And if you've never heard the gospel, maybe that'll be my next podcast. But this podcast would be way too long if I introduced the gospel and who Jesus is and, and stuff like that. But I believe that especially, especially with this new progressive Christianity movement, which if I could just pause there, It is not Christianity. There is no such thing as progressive Christianity. The Bible has been written and it shall remain written exactly the way that it is. But anyways, instead of just leaving the gospel, the Bible written the way that the Lord wanted it to remain written, and again, scripture is God-breathed, that is biblical, people are now deciding that they want to change a few verses or they like these verses and they're going to forget that other verses somewhere else written in the Bible aren't there. And people have taken this new approach to reading scripture and changing it to make it something that it's not. So where do we get wisdom from? Where do we get knowledge from scriptures? Who are we supposed to trust when we are studying the word of God? And The best way to start with this podcast is identifying what God says wisdom is and what God says knowledge really is. 
So again, Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10 answers this for us. It says, quote, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. End quote. So right there, what is wisdom? Wisdom is fearing God. Well, it says that that's the beginning of wisdom. So in order to start from the beginning to obtain any sort of wisdom, all you need to do is fear God. You need to have reverence for him. You need to have respect for him. You need to understand who God is. And some people kind of, I think, fearing the Lord, that term, people get a little bit confused about it. And it makes sense because, you know, we say that God is loving. So why does God want us to fear him? It's like when you, this is at least the way I look at it, when you fear your parents, right? Because you don't want to let them down. You don't want to do something wrong. It's like that that fear. And that's the type of fear that I'm talking about. It's more of a reverential respect for God, which we need for him. We need to remember that, yes, Jesus is our friend, but he is also the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, and he is worthy of praise. He is the almighty, wonderful, powerful God. So that's what I mean. And I believe that that's what um, King Solomon writing Proverbs means when he when he talks about fearing of the Lord. But that is the beginning of wisdom. Notice it's not be going to seminary school, not that that's bad, or studying the scripture every minute and every hour of the day and making sure that you're 100% accurate about the scriptures. That is not what wisdom is. The beginning of wisdom, according to scripture, is fearing God. It's about God. It's not about you. It's not about me. I don't get wisdom from my works. I get wisdom from fearing the Lord. So again, it brings it back to God. And now how do we get understanding? Well, it says that knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So that's what understanding is. It's having knowledge of the Holy One, meaning Jesus. It's understanding who he is. It's fearing him. It's realizing the character of Jesus. And how do you understand the character of Jesus? By praying constantly, by being in the word, by reading the gospel, by understanding who Jesus is. So those are the two definitions of what wisdom and understanding is. And I believe that it's really, really, really important to start there. That we don't get our wisdom and our understanding from anything that we as human beings, fallen human beings, sinners, can do. We get our wisdom, we get our knowledge simply from fearing God and for understanding who Jesus, the Holy One, is. Proverbs chapter 10 verses 13 through 14 expand a bit about wisdom and understanding. So it says, quote, Wisdom is found on the lips of the discerning, but a rod is for the back of one who has no sense. The wise store up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool invites ruin." Unquote. So again, if we apply now the definitions of what wisdom is, which is fearing God, so it says wisdom is found on the lips of the discerning. So fearing God, wisdom is found on people's lips of the discerning. So people who fear God will have this idea of discernment. They'll be able to discern, for the most part, of what's right and what's wrong. 
And then if you skip down, it says the wise store up knowledge. So wise, wisdom, fearing God stores up knowledge, stores up understanding of who the Holy One, of who Jesus is. So the more you fear God and grow in this reverential awe and respect for our Lord and Savior, the more we're going to understand who Jesus is. Pretty much what these verses are saying is that if you want wisdom, if you want knowledge, seek God. Seek his word. Seek who he is. Try and give your whole heart to him. Take up your whole cross and follow him. Surrender your life to him. Again, wisdom and knowledge. These verses bring it back to God. Last scripture here in Proverbs, we're going to skip to Proverbs chapter 10, verse 23, which says, quote, Doing wrong is like a joke to a fool, but wisdom is pleasure to a man of understanding, end quote. Other translations say wisdom is for a person with understanding. So again, they go hand in hand. When you fear God, you will develop an understanding. You will obtain knowledge of who Jesus is. You cannot fear the Lord without understanding who Jesus is. And you cannot gain a deeper understanding of who Jesus is without having that reverential awe and respect or fear of God. So, Everything leads back to God. Everything leads back to his word of truth, to his scripture, right? God says he will communicate to us in many different ways that are biblical. However, one of the main ways that God communicates with us is through his word, right? That is how we learn about who Jesus is. Therefore, how we acquire understanding and knowledge of God. So therefore, God will not speak to you with verses that are not biblical. I just want to repeat that. God will not speak to you with verses that are not biblical. And this is what's going to lead me into the topic of false prophets and therefore false prophecies. So what is a prophet? What is a prophecy? This podcast is not about getting into an in-depth discussion, summary, explanation of prophets and prophecies. I am actually not super, super educated, super informed, uh, per se, about prophets and prophecies. And, you know, like I said, I didn't go to seminary school. But again, to go back to Proverbs, where do we get our wisdom and knowledge from? fearing God and discovering who Jesus is and being in his word and developing that relationship with him. And so that is where my knowledge comes from, which I believe is biblical knowledge. And I just gave you verses to back myself up there. Anyways, to briefly touch on what prophets and prophecies are, and I'm actually going to leave a quite a few sources and links if you wanted to understand more about false prophets, prophecies, and other stuff that I'm going to talk about. Dale Partridge, he has a couple podcasts and a couple videos that are just, they go far more in depth about it. Um, and they're just, I believe, are very, very sound doctrinally speaking. And they're just very, very great. But anyways, in the Old Testament, specifically the books of Jeremiah and Isaiah, there are a ton of prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled. And then in the New Testament, when Jesus comes, 
all of these prophecies, specifically the book of Matthew, has a ton of prophecies that were fulfilled um, based on what those prophets said would happen. So pretty much everything the prophets said ended up happening, so therefore the prophecies were fulfilled in the New Testament, if that makes sense. Now Paul, Apostle Paul, talks often about false teaching and false prophets and false prophecies. I want to read 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2 verses 1 through 4. Quote, Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us, whether by a prophecy or by word of mouth or by letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Unquote. So these verses are an example of what I was just talking about. It's specifically about the prophecy of Jesus returning, and that is the one prophecy that we obviously all are still waiting on, the second coming of Christ. But what is he talking about? He's talking about these false prophets that are pretty much telling you, and I believe this is a very, very, probably one of the most common false teachings of people saying, hey, God has told me that Jesus is coming back tomorrow or on this date and the world is going to end on this date, right? We hear that all of the time. And that is a really, really good example, which is why I chose this one. And I'm seeing now why God wanted me to use this example. But anyways, a great example of false teaching and false prophets, false prophecies, and why they are so deceiving. Pretty much, God has given each one of his children different gifts, right? Different spiritual gifts, which we'll get to. However, there are many, 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 many people who claim to be a prophet. And there are some classes in schools, which I'll get to, that you can actually go to that teach you how to be a prophet or how to better your skills as a prophet. And as Dale Partridge would say, if you have to better your worldly skills on how to be a better prophet or how to use your spiritual gift better, it's probably not a spiritual gift from God. Again, what are those people doing? They're making it about themselves and about their works instead of about God, which is Again, going back to that initial definition of what Proverbs says wisdom and understanding is, which is contradictory. I am not 100% sure if prophets still exist. There is scripture to back that up, but there's also very good scripture to back up the fact that prophets nowadays don't exist. I am not recording this podcast to dispute that and This is one of those issues in scripture that isn't necessarily black and white. And I talk about this all the time, how there are verses in the Bible that are very clear. You cannot argue with them, such as Jesus is love. Jesus is the Messiah, right? But then there is also a lot of scripture that isn't necessarily black and white. And what this progressive Christianity movement is doing with the scripture that 
isn't black and white is that because of their seminary school that they went to or because of the knowledge that they believe that the Lord has has given them, which we'll talk about, that isn't technically in the scripture, they will use that to try and say that they are right and that they are more anointed. And I do not believe that all of these people have bad intentions. I just believe that it truly is false teaching and that we are forgetting where wisdom and where knowledge comes from. And it is by fearing God and understanding who Jesus is and through his word that's already been written. Now, if we are going to believe that there are some current day prophets, if those prophets seem to claim that they have more insight from God than what the Bible is saying, those prophets, those prophecies are false. And I just want to take a moment to imagine the total destruction that could and has come out of this type of ideology and teaching, these false teachings. Not only does all of this false teaching distort the true word of God, but you could take this so far to the point of saying, I am a prophet and therefore I have more knowledge that perhaps God has not given you, but he's given me and he has told me that you two should not be married. And so therefore these people who are engaged call it off because I simply said that I have a prophet and I have a prophetic word from God. That is actually a true story that happened not to me, but to a friend of mine. And it only gets worse and worse and worse. And now most people who believe that they are prophets would counter that argument of mine and say that most people who consider themselves prophets don't go that far to say such bold claims. However, if you are going to believe in the fact that there are current day prophets, you have to believe in the whole truth. You can't just pick and choose what is true that prophet A says and what is false about prophet B because of their exaggerated claims. When you, in other words, sign up to believe in current day prophets, you would then have to believe that every prophet, therefore, every prophecy, every prophetic word that comes from that prophet's mouth is essentially a word from God that hasn't been written down in the Bible. So then you might be wondering, well, how do you know if you do believe in current day prophets, how do you know which teaching is false and which one is true? Well, anything that current day prophets tell you about future events to come is false. As Dale Partridge has said, because the apostolic era is over, people nowadays will only prophesy about what's already happened, about what's already been written down in the Bible. God can use his children as vessels, and in fact, that is biblical. God will use his children as vessels to speak through the Spirit to each other and through each other. In fact, he can even use people that don't have the spirit. God is God and he will not be kept in a box. But if you want to play the game and open the door of adding more information to the Bible than is already written, you are opening a very dangerous door to a very dangerous game ahead where Satan has entered. 
I mentioned earlier about spiritual gifts and prophetic words and supernatural gifts. Now, spiritual gifts are very much real. They're very much biblical. You can find scripture about this all throughout the Bible. Like I mentioned earlier, Dale Partridge actually has a great podcast explaining the difference between spiritual gifts and supernatural gifts. Now, to make this podcast as short as possible, because there's still more that I want to touch base on, spiritual gifts are those such as teaching, helping, praying, etc. Supernatural gifts would be those like me walking up to a stranger in a hospital, someone who maybe is dying of cancer, me placing my hands on that person and in Jesus' name, uh, rebuking the cancer, making it go away, and it leaving. And then not only that, but me saying, I have the supernatural gift from God that I can place my hands on people and heal them miraculously of all sorts of diseases, or me going up to somebody who's in a grave, who has passed away, and touching my hands to them, and watching them resurrect from the dead, and me again going around saying that this is a supernatural gift that I have from God to raise people from the dead. There's a big difference between spiritual gifts, which are biblical, and supernatural gifts, which I do not believe, as many do not, are biblical. Can it happen? Sure. Like I said, I will not keep our all-powerful, almighty God in a box. However, if these supernatural gifts were God's will for many to have, for many to go to school to learn how to perfect, which is so not scriptural, uh, these gifts, then we would see it all of the time. But we don't. Have you seen this happen? I have not. Now, I mentioned earlier how there are literal, actual schools or classes that you can go to in order to perfect or even acquire some of those supernatural gifts, apparently, from God. And I actually will be so bold because I believe that it is so anti-biblical. And I have seen firsthand the destruction that comes from it and the false teaching, etc., of the school of Bethel and what they teach and all of the different classes for the supernatural gifts that are just so, so stretched away from the truth. For example, Bethel has a, quote, raising the dead team, unquote. And you can actually go online to Bethel School or just Bethel, I think, dot com, and you can read all of this for yourself. It comes across like it isn't as dramatic as I'm saying, and because Satan, of course, wants to keep this false teaching hidden, but it's all there. And to call yourself somebody who's appointed by God to heal and raise people from the dead is one thing. To claim that you have that gift is one thing, but it's a whole different ballgame that is so far away from scripture to say that you can actually teach people how to do this, that you have the power. That is so far away from those initial verses that we started off this podcast talking about in Proverbs, that we get our wisdom, we get our knowledge from God. 
And for somebody to claim so boldly that they actually have that power from God themselves to teach how to raise from the dead, I don't know how anybody could point to scripture and claim that this is 100% black and white truth. Philippians 4.13 is one of those verses that has uh, been used to counter this argument, we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. I absolutely love that verse. It's a verse that I have memorized and it's grown very near and dear and close to my heart as it should all believers. And so, yes, I firmly believe that we can do all things through the Holy Spirit. Now, all things, yes. Again, I will not put God in a box. If it is God's will for me to pray over somebody's cancer to go away, if it is God's will for, I, this actually a miracle just happened yesterday where God did bring somebody back to life. He was on the table at a hospital and actually dead for 20 minutes. Yet many people prayed for him that God would save him and and God did. God is a miraculous God and in no way am I dismissing that. Now, did the guy just sort of hop up from the table? No, the doctors gave him chest compressions. God can work again through his people as vessels. Anyways, yes, that verse is very black and white. God, there's another verse in Matthew where Jesus says we have the power to move mountains. Now, therefore, should every Christian, every believer who believes that we have the power to move mountains to do extraordinary works on this earth, if we all went up to a mountain and tried to actually physically we took that verse literally and tried to actually move that mountain. Would that happen? If this were God's will for all of his believers or most of his believers or any believer who wishes if they just have enough faith to heal people of all of their physical elements, we would see it. God is not a God of confusion. If it were God's will for many, many of his believers to have these supernatural gifts, we would see the supernatural healing all of the time. Just because we have the power of Christ living in us, which is so powerful, the most powerful, does not mean, does not mean that it is biblical for all of those people to have supernatural gifts. That is not biblical. Now again, God should not be kept in a box. We should continue to pray for miracles because God is a miraculous God and he loves to display his wondrous works. I've witnessed his miracles. Now, does that mean supernatural miracles? Supernatural worldly miracles of healing the sick? No, and I do not believe that that is what Jesus means when he says that he is a miraculous God. So should we stop praying for worldly miracles altogether? And what I mean by worldly is not just the salvation of God's people, but for people to be healed of their physical elements. No, I do not believe that we should stop praying for that. God knows our hearts. He knows our desires. He knows what we want. But most importantly, God knows what we need. Do we need physical, worldly healing? No. We need the gospel. We need salvation and sanctification through and by the Holy Spirit alone. We need to be eternally reconciled, our souls, back 
to God. That is what we need. So that is what should be of most importance in our prayer life is that people receive and hear the gospel. Now, how do people hear and receive the gospel? Well, first, Jesus has to give them eyes to see and ears to hear. So again, bringing it back to God. And second, we now share the gospel through his written word and through us, his people, sharing the word and introducing Jesus through his word and through love, grace, and truth. It does not mean showing people miracles. God constantly reminds us that we fall short of the glory of God and there's nothing, there's nothing that we can do in order to save people. We are not the savior and if it required any effort on our part other than the gospel and God just using us as his vessels to share the gospel, we would be making that wisdom understanding we would be bringing it back to our human sinful self it wouldn't be about god because let me tell you there are many who see and who do not believe there were many people in biblical times that saw jesus and saw his miracles and still did not believe in him so that argument that people nowadays will see Jesus and receive the gospel through our worldly miracles is so not supported as you read the Bible. The part of the Bible where Jesus healed and did all of these worldly miracles, that part of the Bible has already been written. I mentioned earlier how the apostolic era is over. We should not add to the Bible. I mentioned earlier how We shouldn't necessarily stop praying for worldly miracles. We could even go as far to pray for resurrections if you really wanted to. But what I mean by resurrections is those future resurrections when Jesus returns. Because again, I say it's what this podcast is titled, This Life is Not About This World. So why on earth would you want to bring somebody back to this horrible temporary lifetime on earth where we're actually the bible says pilgrims just focusing on the joy that is set before us which is inheriting the kingdom that's what this life is about it's about spreading the gospel to people so that they can inherit the eternal pleasures of of christ so if we are going to pray for resurrections it should be about the future resurrection the second coming of christ when jesus brings us back home into the loving arms of our father And we should be praying for salvations because that is what Jesus continually says in the Bible is what's important. Salvations, future salvations, not healing of a worldly issue that doesn't matter across eternity. I've heard this said multiple times and I believe it is one of the most dangerous things you can say to anyone, let alone a believer. Quote, the more faith that you have, the more miracles that you'll perform, unquote. And that is what is being taught in a lot of these classes, in a lot of these schools. And if you think about it, it makes sense. Like I said, you can't pick and choose what type of prophetic word or prophetic teaching that you believe in. If you yourself are training to better your prophecies or better your supernatural gifts, then 
it's on you your faith in god even if you say oh no it's not me that actually does the healing it's jesus within me okay but you are still trying to make your faith stronger in order to heal a lot of people will use the scripture from matthew when jesus says you didn't have enough faith and that's why you couldn't drive the demons out again apostolic era is over and i believe that that verse does have significance to us but not in the very very literal ways that most people who believe in this sort of stuff take it throughout scripture jesus constantly tells us that he is the author and perfecter of our faith it says this in hebrews chapter 12 that no matter how much faith we try and muster up in the moment when we're trying to raise someone from the dead or rid someone of cancer, God's will will prevail and it is not God's will for us to prove our faithfulness through works. This ideology is constantly repeated throughout scripture. Pretty much, if you have the mindset, especially while going through scripture, that this life is not about this world, then your view of those verses is going to dramatically shift to the truth. A lot of people I have heard use this specific scripture to also counter this argument. It's John chapter 14 verse 12 and it talks about how we will do greater things than he, meaning Jesus, who was in the world. So what were those great things that Jesus accomplished while he was on earth? Well, we could go on and on and on and on, right? And it actually says, I believe in John, that most of his miracles weren't even recorded because there were just too many to count. Jesus had to prove, or he wanted to prove, that he was truly the son of God. And so that is why he performed all of those miracles, those signs and wonders, to prove that he was who he said he was. So what did he do? He healed the blind. He made the lame walk. He healed people's physical elements. Long story short. And then most importantly, he rose from the dead, right? That was his probably biggest miracle. Now, those are all worldly things, right? To prove that, again, he was God. So what are those greater things that John is talking about? What could possibly be greater than all of those worldly miracles. Well, I'll tell you, and it is what overall is consistently repeated throughout the Bible, and that is bringing people to Christ, introducing people to the gospel. That is what those greater things that John is talking about, that's what he means. It does not mean supernatural gifts and things and healing cancer and raising people from the dead. No, that era is done. It is finished. It is written. The greater things that you and I are called to do is to bring people the gospel. That is better than worldly things. What are the works that Jesus accomplished that he said are of the most important things? That was, why did he come to earth? to introduce himself and to die to make a way so that we could be reconciled and have a relationship with our Father God. Let me ask you a very direct, forward question. If your ministry is making the world a better place, how is that helping the kingdom? I'm going to ask it again. If your ministry is making the world a better place, 
How is that helping the kingdom? Listen, the apostolic era has ended. The Bible is written. Now, our job is to use these miracles that are already recorded, already written down in the Bible, the gospel, most importantly, to bring people to Christ. Jesus says that the most important commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus even told the apostles this as he was completing those miracles. He didn't tell them that the most important thing to do is to perform all of these physical, worldly miracles. Jesus doesn't prove his faithfulness through making this world a better place. Therefore, I have a very hard time believing that God's main mission for all of us regarding how to spread the gospel is through physical worldly miracles. In fact, Jesus says that this world will bring us hardships, and how we get through the waiting for his second coming is by focusing on the joy that is set before us. And to finish up this podcast and to support those last statements are Hebrew, uh, or in Hebrews, um, chapter 12 verse 2. Quote, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Unquote. Again, my name is Rihanna, and I'd be more than grateful to talk with you. If you have any questions or comments about anything said in this podcast, or maybe just need a sister in Christ to listen to you, email me at riannakasinski at gmail.com. That's R-E-A-N-N-A-K-I-C-I-N-S-K-I-I at gmail.com. Remember, this life is not about this world. This life is about Jesus.